You know, there are a number of really compelling storylines story that we've got to follow throughout the rest of the preseason and, and the offseason for the Indianapolis Colts. We're going to go over five of them. The most important is obviously Quentin Nelson's extension. I don't mean to kind of ruin the suspense as to what the number one thing is, number one story. I think that you understand what that story is and what the ramifications of that story are. Whether the Colts choose to move forward with the extension or not, there are some really profound consequences in either direction. We're going to talk about those. We're also going to talk about the NFL Combine staying in Indianapolis the next two years. Really, really good decision by the NFL. Nobody does anything like this better than the city of Indianapolis. Indianapolis literally was built. I don't say literally often. The word literally drives me crazy literally. But the city of Indianapolis does it better than anybody else. And I want to talk about, uh, again, this will be revisiting this, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, what he had to say in his media availability yesterday in response to a Bob Kravitz question. I think it's really important. And I, I think that there are a couple of things going on within the Indiana basketball program that need to kind of be unearthed. We're going to talk about that. This is Inside Indiana Sports Now for Tuesday. With Ken Sterling, by the way, for Tuesday, uh, May 24th, 2022. Brought to you by the great people at Johnson's Plumbing. They got another customer from us. Phone rang at 765-610-8809. And Johnson's Plumbing, going to take care of some business for some people who watch uh, Breakfast with Ken and Inside Indiana Sports Now. You have made a great decision. You call that number. You've made a really, really wise choice smash that subscribe button, hit the like button, ring the bell, let's go, let's talk about sports. If you have a question of an urgent nature, make a donation, we get right after it. It, it comes up in a special graphic, it is impossible to ignore, I got the summer haircut, I'm ready to go. Let's go, wearing the racing shirt, there we go, got this at the track. I always buy one of these when I'm out at the track, I can't remember the name of the artist who does these shirts, but I love the guy. And I love the shirt. So there you go. Thank you very much. It is a nice haircut. We're very, very happy with the haircut. Uh, Storylines for the Colts in 2022, but those that we're going to continue to watch throughout the offseason and then into the preseason. And none of them have anything to do with Carson Wentz. That's a Washington Commanders storyline. Not an Indianapolis Colts storyline, unless Carson Wentz doesn't play 70% of the snaps and then we got a problem with the, with Ron Rivera and with the commanders. Uh, they got it. Number five is they got to come out hot. They have got to change their protocol in the offseason to make sure that when they hit the field for real in September in Houston and then following that up with a game in Jacksonville, they are ready to play. You have to win. You have to compete in these first seven games and in particular those two games in order to have any chance at a postseason that's going to ring bells here uh, in Indianapolis or internally within the Colts complex out on West 56th Street. Jim say wants postseason wins. If you don't win these first two games of the season, you're going to have a difficult time getting to the playoffs at all. you got to come out hot, and that means that they have to be ready to hit the ground running and not limp into the season. 1% better does not work. By the time you get to the opener, you got to be 100% better. You have to be ready to play. Iron 
sharpens iron. That's got to start right now. Uh, number four, will Jelani Woods make enough strides kind of learning how to block and getting into that part of playing tight end in order to displace Mo Alicox as the starting tight end for this offense? You know, Matt Ryan relies on tight ends. Last year it was Kyle Pitts. Before that it was Hooper. Before that it was Tammy. Before that it was Gonzalez. He has had a roster of really, really good tight ends that he made better through his through his play. Is it going to be Jelani Woods, the third-round draft pick, 73rd overall? Or is it going to be Mo Ali Cox? Or is it going to be Kylan Granson? Who's it going to be? Or are they going to split it up? That's not normally what the Falcons did. We'll see if the Colts choose to do that. Woods it continues to be kind of advertised by scouts as the type of athlete they have never seen before. 6'7", huge, huge wingspan, uh, a guy who once he gets going can run. He is a unique specimen of a human being. Played one year at Virginia, did really, really well in the offense, caught some balls after being at uh, Oklahoma State and really not getting a lot of work in that regard done at all. He was never a blocking tight end. That's the misnomer. People look at what he did at Oklahoma State and they say, oh, he must have been a blocking tight end. No, that wasn't his job. His job was to get out in roots, but they didn't work it to him. They didn't get the ball to him. He uh, did not have a lot of targets. That's why his numbers look the way they look. Number three, Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator of the Colts. Is that defense going to be able to stop people? Or is it going to be similar to Matt Eberflus? Eberflus ran the cover two. Gus Bradley's got a similar scheme in the cover three. It is more kind of uh, complicated uh, and difficult to prepare for than Matt Eberflus's cover two. But it's all about this for Gus Bradley. It is about these uh, six things. It's about Stopping the run, eliminating explosiveness, affecting the quarterback, winning third down, owning the red zone, and going and getting the football. That's a lot. If you can get a defense, do all those things, you feel pretty good about it. If you're going to have six kind of focuses, those are pretty good ones. If you get after the quarterback, I'm happy. They got Yannick Ngakwe, who is kind of a Gus Bradley specialist, to play the Leo. That's on the right side of the defensive line, and he is offset from the line and tries to beat with his quickness the left tackle. That's kind of what that does. He's not great against run. He is going to get the quarterback every single snap. So think Robert Mathis, and if he is as productive as Robert Mathis, you're going to feel really good about Yannick Ngakwe. Um, and then, you, you, but you do need to stop the run. You got to stop the run, pressure the quarterback, go get the football, own the red zone, and you do have to uh, win third down. And that's something that Matt Eberflus did not do at a level that Colts fans liked. And now he is the Bears' problem as the head coach of the Bears. And the defense here maybe can take a punt as a win rather than it seemed purposely giving teams first downs to extend drives and go get more opportunities to create turnovers. I hated that. You've you got to win through aggressiveness. Uh, the aggressor wins in the NFL. And Matt Eberflus's defense was never aggressive until they started punching at the football. Then they got aggressive. Number two, Paris Campbell's health. This is really important. 
And as we talk about the Colts' dynamism from an offensive perspective, Paris Campbell and his health is absolutely critical. You know what you've got in Michael Pittman Jr. You know what you've got to an extent with Alec Pierce. You've you've seen what he can do when he's on the field for Cincinnati, right? University of Cincinnati. And Pittman, we saw kind of what we would assume is the height of his game last year with almost 90 catches and almost 1,100 yards. Good year for Michael Pittman Jr. The key is Paris Campbell's health because if Paris Campbell isn't healthy, I don't know who plays that position. In the slot, you could have Naheem Hines out there. But as that third kind of guy who can stretch the field vertically and has height to be able to do that and the speed to be able to do that, who do you turn to if not Campbell? Ashton Doolin? Mike Strawn? Uh, You know, Kiki Kute? Des Patman? I don't know who it is if it's not Paris Campbell. If he's healthy, then Chris Ballard looks like a genius for not investing in another wide receiver, another veteran wide receiver. The Titans gave up a six-round pick to take on Robert Woods and his contract. The Rams wanted out from under that contract, and they were willing to take only a six-round pick to pry him loose. Robert Woods coming off an ACL tear. If he's ready to go, and he can be anywhere near the level of productive that he was with the Rams, Colts might have a a problem winning the AFC South. And number one, like I said, Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson right now, in terms of salary, is the highest paid guard in the NFL at almost $13.8 million. That's in total cash. Brandon Scherf is the highest paid guard at $17.76 million. Uh, the average per year for Scherf is $16.5 million. Uh, Joey Batonio, $16 million. Joe Thune, $16 million. And then Zach Martin from Indianapolis went to Chittard High School. He's right in there as well. How much do you pay Quentin Nelson? You're not going to pay the guy 20. Are you going to pay him 18? Are you going to pay him 17? How are you going to structure the deal so you can continue to function and continue to build that roster? That's what they've got to figure out. Is he worth the cap hit in order to keep him? The Titans made a similar decision with A.J. Brown. They cast him out. We're done with A.J. Couldn't come to an agreement on a responsible financial deal So they moved off of him, and they went out, they drafted a couple of guys, and they made the deal for Robert Woods. What are the Colts going to do? You can replace a guard really without, without doing a whole lot of hard work if you're Chris Ballard. Is it worth it to sign him to the kind of deal that he's going to try to demand? And is Quentin Nelson kind of dug in enough in Indy where he's going to give up a little to, to put the Colts in a position where they could win football games, maybe more of them, because they can go out and get another dynamic weapon. That is the big thing this offseason. Quentin Nelson's extension, at what level are the Colts going to extend him? Because I, it sounds like, and has sounded like, Ballard's bound and determined to get that done. The Combine's going to stay in Indy. It was open up for bids. It had been in Indy since 1987. Then Indianapolis had to bid against Dallas and against the Rams, but Los Angeles, they wanted SoFi Stadium wanted it, and the NFL decided to keep it here, that Indy just does it better than everybody else, and of course they do. This city was built to do it. What's the economic impact 
of the combine being here, it is $9.6 million according to studies. So, but it's important, I think, from an imaging perspective that the, the combine's here. ESPN is here that week. The NFL Network is here that week. They're talking about Indy, talking about St. Elmo's forever and ever and ever. St. Elmo's got as if there are no other restaurants in Indianapolis. Uh, remarkable comment to me by Trace Jackson Davis yesterday when he talked to the media. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic asked a question about the suspensions, discipline, drug use within the, the Hoosier basketball program. And here's a kind of snippets of the quotes. I read the whole thing this morning in its entirety, his entire answer. But what he said in a nutshell, we are mature enough uh, to know what's right and what's wrong. It's always giving chances and chances and chances. I feel like we've had enough chances. And it's a big thing. And, and a lot of time, a lot of teams that I've been with, the drugs affecting our team, so we're not having that this year. So that's, that's what he said and how he said it. Uh, I, I chopped it up a little bit. Drugs, a problem with Indiana basketball. I got to feel like Trace Jackson Davis and Mike Woodson got together and said, okay, here's how we do this. We communicate to the team internally, you and I, that this is not going to be tolerated at all, especially in season. And if it does happen, chances are gone. Now you go in the media and you say this as our leader. And then when it comes time, if somebody crosses that line and it's off with their heads, they understand that this is a team decision, not a coach going out on a, a skinny limb all by himself, but that he's got the backing of the captain of this team. And I think that's important. And I think that that's what happened yesterday. I don't think that it's Trace Jackson Davis kind of, you know, just sort of like forgetting that he was talking to the media and saying things out of, you know, character with what Indiana players have often said, which is generally nothing. Indiana is about as closed-lipped a, a basketball program as you're going to find in the country. They do not air their dirty laundry in the public ever, ever, ever. And they did yesterday, and I think it was strategic. Uh, Miles Teller's going to drop the green flag on Sunday for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. Why Miles Teller? I don't know. He's got that show called The Offer about the making of The Godfather that's out. He starred in Whiplash with J.K. Simmons. Terrific movie. Has nothing to do with sports, but I would put it in my top five sports movies ever. It is a sports movie. It's got to do with music, but it's a sports movie about a coach and a player and motivating a player, trying to get him to become great by absolutely destroying the soul of that kid. It was so interesting to me. And it, through a sports context, just a great movie. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Anyway, Miles Teller is going to wave the flag. You could get, oh, he's in Top Gun, isn't he? You're right, Gary. He's in Top Gun, so he's promoting that, whatever. You know, Tom Cruise, far too busy, which is good, because I would have I would have gone to the race just to boo Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, I have reason to believe, broke my nose in a soccer game in high school. As New Albany was playing St. X, I turned, I ate his elbow, popped me right in the nose, I bled all over the place. 
Tom Maypother was his name then. He changed it to Tom Cruise. Whatever. I don't like Tom Cruise. I still don't like Cruise. I'll never like Cruise. And I don't like calling him Cruise. His name's Maypother. Deal with it. And if I knew he was going to be rich, I'd have sued his ass back in 1979. There you go. Uh, to, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise. Pop. Elbow. Right to the, right to the schnoz. Still have the deviated septum. Does the injury allow me to sue today? Because the injury continues to exist and hamper my breathing, for God's sake. What's that worth? Hey, what's he making from Top Gun? $250 million? Something like that? Throw a little cash my way. Let's go. Say next. Uh, did they beat us that game? I don't know. Anyway, Tom Cruise, that's who he is. That's what he does. What are you going to do? Uh, tomorrow morning, breakfast with Kent. Top Gun, one of your favorite movies. But it's got Tom Cruise in it, and we hate him. Don't we? Come on. Statute of limitation. But the septum is still deviated. Come on. The injury exists as evidence of the crime itself. I don't care when it was. At any rate, breakfast with Kent tomorrow morning. Can't wait to talk to you then.